Thank you for coming out this afternoon. I want to turn with you in the um, New Testament. What's what's going on, James? Everything okay? Or forgive me, I'm sorry. Okay, I want to turn with you in the um, New Testament to the Book of Romans, to Chapter Five. And we want to just think by way of introduction for our message this afternoon and for our messages, we want to, we want to preach eventually on um, characters from the Old Testament. But before we do that, we want to establish um, the value of the Old Testament, that, that the, the Bible is first and foremost a spiritual book, right? Uh, I'm disappointed, I guess, that, you know, in, in most congregations this has to be proven, but in fact it is a challenge that many, many Christians, uh, evangelical Christians, uh, don't see much value to the Old Testament. They say, you know, we have the New Testament and the New Testament is Jesus and, um, and um, that's what Christianity is, it's Jesus, and of course we agree with that. But, um, you know, we can see from, from, the, from the New Testament that, that the Apostle Paul, in the day in which he lived, uh, he said the hindrance to moving forward in truth in the lives of the people he dealt with, uh, he said, would be a lack of understanding of the Old Testament, a lack of understanding of the Scriptures. And, um, you know, in our country... Canada, we see that now. We see um, we see many Christians who um, their life direction is taken from what they see in the media. You know, this is their uh, prescribed truth. Uh, you know, if it's on the internet, it has to be true. Uh, and we, quite frankly, we reject that idea. We know that that, that isn't the case. Hey, uh, in fact. Um, I was just recently, actually this morning, reading a uh, a speech that was given by a, um, a Russian professor at Harvard in 1978, and he said this, that, that in Western culture, Western media, and he said he include the press with that, has absolutely zero accountability. They answer to no one. Nobody answers. Nobody challenges the things that they read often or the things that these people say. And so the battle for truth. And so, so today from Romans chapter 5, we want to establish this point of the value of these people we're going to think about in the Old Testament. And so in Romans chapter 5, um, verse 14 says, Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Notice this, who is a type of him who was to come. And so Paul says here that that Adam was a type of him. Who's the him? Who's the him? It's Christ, right? Uh, That's who the him is. And so somehow Adam was a type Right there was this this spiritual connection uh, to Christ, and so types. Okay, turn over to um, 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, and the context really is uh, verse uh, 27 of chapter 9, and it could even go further back than that, but in First um, Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So now I could ask this question. Do you think that as you look at your own life and the life of those you're in, in fellowship within your local church, and I say that to myself in my local church, do you think that, that, um, that most of what you see is a life of discipline? Would that be true? Or, or, or do you think that most of what you see is a life of subjection? Or say, well, actually, that's the opposite. I mean, if we're, we're honest, I mean, certainly out in the world, yeah, lack of discipline, absolutely. Anarchy in the streets, uh, chaos, all of these things. So lack of discipline. But hey, what about in the church? Would you say that the church is a model of discipline and subjection? Well, the Apostle Paul says he knew that if he wasn't careful... If he wasn't careful, that this could very well happen to him, that having preached to others, he might be shipwrecked or derailed in his life of subjection and his life of discipline, and then consequently become disqualified. Then he goes into this lengthy, lengthy um, connection back to the Old Testament, okay? Back to the Old Testament, and he says, um, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all ate the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, so, so uh, hey, it goes without saying that as we're thinking about types, that that rock back in the Old Testament from which the water came, hey, the Apostle Paul says that was a type. That rock was actually a picture of Christ. Um, he said, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things, he said, became our examples. And so this is the same word we had in Romans chapter 5. It's the same word, type, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by servants or serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now notice verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. And so this word for examples is the same word for type. So, so the Apostle Paul is saying that we can spiritually, well, that the Old Testament first foremost is a spiritual book, and from it we can learn spiritual truth for living today. You think that's true? You think that you can learn things from 4,000, 6,000 years ago that could make a difference today? You think that the, that the, that the Bible is, is, a, uh, is a book written uh, 
historically and, and has no spiritual significance for where we're at today? We're just, can you hear? James, what song is that? Okay, but, okay. It, I, I hear it loud. Do you guys hear it loud? Okay. Um, so, this idea that all these things that happened, the Apostle Paul says, were types that help us, help us move forward. Now, um, a vast amount of uh, Christianity sees no value in, in, um, in studying the dispensations or reading history to learn from history. Uh, and we say it's not just Christianity. We see the world that way too. But, you know, um, you know, the book of Genesis divides up into dispensations. And so, uh, you know, it's not just Genesis. It leads through that. But you go back to the book of Genesis. And um, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was the age of innocence, right? This was the idea that they had this freedom to eat. They had no shame associated with their life. They lived in, in this state of uh, perfection, in this, in this paradise that God had created for them in this age of innocence. Um, one command, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil comes to tempt uh, Adam and Eve, saying to them that if they eat of it, what will happen? That they'll know uh, good from evil, they'll know right from wrong, they'll be just like God. Um, was it true? Well, the fact is is that they did know right from wrong, right? You know, this next age that moved out from this age of innocence this, to this age of conscience. I mean, Adam and Eve knew what was right and what was wrong, but what was the problem? They couldn't do it, right? It was impossible for them to live. Although they knew what was right, they couldn't live like that. And so we know that that's still at some level our experience. Often in life we know what's the right thing to do and we don't do it. So we see that the validity of that, we see that that's true. After the age of conscience, uh, you know, it ends, that age ends, that dispensation ends with, with the flood. That uh, men, their hearts were evil only continually or continually evil before the Lord. Right? That's how that age ended. And then, and then the flood came, judgment, and God brought in, what was it, the next stage? It, the next dispensation was human government. Not law. The law hadn't come. What he brought in was human government, a life for a life. You remember that was the law given to, given to um, Noah. So, you know, as we read, that's that, that all happens in the first nine chapters of the Bible. So you have the age of innocence or the dispensation of innocence followed by the age of conscience, knowing right from wrong, not being able to do it, ending in judgment. Then comes the age of human government. Hey, I don't know if you guys uh, out in the East Coast follow much of what happened in Seattle. Um, the Chaz, do you guys see that? Chop? Do you remember what was, what was, their, what was their point? What were they asking for? Well, well, in essence, what they were asking for was this. They said, we don't need human government, right? Hey, am I right? Is that what they were asking for? We don't need human government. What, we know how to treat people, right? Isn't that what they said? Hey, you let us live lives by our consciences and everything will be okay. Hey, how did it end? 
you know, there's all this hype. It was interesting, um, you know, Twitter and all this hype associated with as as the chop or the Chaz move into this new uh, world order, this this newfound society living by conscience. Hey, hardly no media covered the fact that it only lasted a few weeks. Right. And what had to happen? Well, it was utter chaos. In fact, they weren't living. Hey, they were maybe living by their consciences, but people were still getting shot. There was no uh, there was no subjection to authority. And as Christians, we should already have been aware that that couldn't work, that we see right from reading the first seven or eight or nine chapters of Genesis that these things don't work, that they end in failure. And so this idea that that the Bible is first and foremost a spiritual work needs to be emphasized and ingrained in our thinking. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. So he says in his mind he could go back to the Old Testament and he could see history worked out on its pages. Right? So that's um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So the types uh, connected with the Old Testament. Turn to um, Hebrews chapter 6. Now, um, it goes without saying that we see these problems in humanity. I mean, we could talk about um, these things going on at Harvard. We could talk about these things going on in Seattle. Or we could talk about what's going on in the U.S. Hey, these same things are happening in Canada. I mean, uh, it's expected that... that um, that America doesn't know that much about what goes on in Canada. You have a lot of your own things going on, but hey, it's, it's, we live in a corrupt nation. You know, our, our politicians, uh, many of them are not honest. The previous Prime Minister of Canada was a born-again Christian. Uh, at least when you say born-again, he attended a church that would certainly teach that doctrine. So we're not sure that he was. Uh, he had many attributes of somebody who could be considered a born-again Christian. The man uh, who we pray for, who runs the country now, is uh, not. He's antagonistic toward the things of God. He hates the Lord. Okay, and so we're not coming down here and and um, and presenting uh, that we're any uh, better off spiritually or morally. In many ways, worse. But um, you know, the world isn't under the judgment of God right now. Hey, but you know, judgment is Peter says to begin at the house of God. Hey. We see those things out there and, and we say, hey, that's a problem for them in the future. But it's a real tragedy when these things are allowed to go on in the church. Okay, so here um, in, Ephesians, or in Hebrews, actually chapter 5, uh, verse 12, Paul says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so the apostle writes that the problem in his day the problem in his day was spiritual immaturity. Man, we're grateful to have been delivered from that, right? I mean, we don't have spiritual immaturity now, do we? 
Well, this is what he said was the problem in his day. So you have um, these gifted men, these apostles going around ministering the word of God. And the apostle says that, hey, hey, the saints should have been way further along. We as Christians should be way further along than we are. And so spiritual maturity is the immaturity is the problem. Then he lists in the next chapter what the elementary principles were, the things that they should have known, but that they should have been able to move forward on. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, this is verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. And so spiritual immaturity was the problem in his day. Uh, suggest, hey, this is the problem in our day, spiritual immaturity. So now the question I ask you is, what didn't they understand? What's the context of this section that begins in verse 12 that I read to you and runs through to six, uh, chapter 6, verse 3? What's the context? What didn't they understand? Think about that. I mean, you don't have to answer, but it's uh, it's good to think about that. Um, well, it's in chapter 5, and it actually begins in, in verse 5 of chapter 5. What they didn't understand was the eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus, which Paul wanted to talk to them about. The eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus as presented in the person of Melchizedek. Right? That's actually what he says. Uh, he, he, he talks about Melchizedek. He talks about the Lord Jesus as the eternal priest, connects it with uh, the order of Melchizedek. Um, and then in verse seven, or 11, he says, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since, we have be, uh, since you have become dull of hearing. And so the Apostle Paul says he would like to move them past this spiritual immaturity, He'd like to talk to them about the eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus as it's found in a type in the Old Testament in the person of Melchizedek. So we come back to this idea, are types important? Well, you say, well, hey, Paul thought they were. In fact, uh, the the believer's uh, lack of ability in his day to discern between good and evil, right? To discern between good and evil, suffered because of their lack of understanding of the Old Testament types. Hey, we struggle with that today. The idea of being able to discern the truth and to discern between good and evil, we need our minds changed. We need our minds renewed. And how does the Bible allot for that? Well, Paul says our minds are renewed by the Scriptures. It's the Word of God that gets in and changes my thinking. Right? Not not what... Other people say about it, but the actual word of God. Hey, you read through the, the, the annals of Christian history, and you read uh, stories of men and women who accomplished great exploits for God. And make, make no mistake, hey, they lived in, in as trying of times as we lived in, oftentimes way more trying. Hey, you, you read missionary stories of, of people who lived in, in, in countries where it was illegal it was illegal to preach the gospel. Uh, uh, Anthony Norris Groves, you know, you read the story of Anthony Norris Groves. He went to Baghdad. Hey, how, how open do you think Baghdad was to, to the gospel? That was a Muslim country. Hey, uh, 
what about pestilence? I mean, they call uh, what we're experiencing a pandemic. Hey, did Anthony Norris Groves experience that in Baghdad? Hey, they said they were stacking the bodies in the streets. It, this is the kind of things they went through. Hey, these men and women that did this were students of the word of God. They knew Christ as he was presented in the word. And so this idea that, that we as a, as a church in North America, we need to be moved along in these things. This is where our lack of discernment uh, comes from, I think, is a lack of understanding the word of God. So it's not just Anthony Norris Groves, uh, George Mueller. Who's read stories of George Mueller, that great man of faith? Hey, how many times did he read his Bible? Anybody know? Anybody know how many times George Mueller read his Bible? Well, they say um, they say that George Mueller had the gift of faith, right? I mean, he certainly was able to accomplish a lot through his prayer life and and through his faith. But um, how many times did he read his Bible? Hey, his wife said after he'd gone to heaven that George Mueller read his Bible 200 times from cover to cover. So, so maybe, maybe he wasn't, it wasn't that he had the gift of faith. Maybe like Paul said in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And so you read through George Mueller's uh, uh, great exploits of faith, then you'll hear him pray things from the Word of God, right? That he just used the Word of God to pray it back to him. This was how he was able to uh, to pray for hours at a time, not just repetition. He was able to work his way through the Word of God and pray this back to God. And so, but that's just two examples. But those examples are endless of men and women who who uh, who knew the Word of God, who were equipped were equipped for the day in which they lived. Hey, you know, John Nelson Darby uh, lived in the 1800s. You know, he lived as a pauper. Now, here's a man who translated the scripture into at least seven languages, spoke almost a dozen languages, was a student not just of, 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 of school and of languages, but was a student of the Word of God. He wrote a tract in 1850. This was when he was a young man. And um, the title of the track, you know what the title of the track was? It was the, the Rise of Democratic Power. Hey, you know what Darby said in 1850 democracy leads to? You know what he says democracy leads to? Freedom? He says it leads to anarchy. What do you think about that? It's a little jarring, isn't it? John, is that too jarring? I know you guys were saying some of the stuff I was saying in the truck was a little jarring. Um, Laodicea, the last church, the seventh church, okay? What's Laodicea mean? Laodicea means the rule of the people. Hey, you know why the governments in our countries look like it is? Because it's the rule of the people. You say, well, we don't do that in the church. Really, we don't do that in the church? Hey, hey, people vote in the church all the time, right? They vote today. Want to have a conference in the middle of the afternoon on uh, this weekend and people vote. How do they vote? Well, they vote with their feet, right? That's how they vote. Um, hey, how is a pastor recognized in most evangelical churches in this area? How? He comes and he preaches, and then what happens? The people vote. So, so Darby said that 
that um, democracy or the rise of democratic power leads to anarchy. Well, we're going to see, I think, that that's what's going to happen. You're going to potentially have a government, you're going to have a government, maybe, in November, that is going to be opposed to the things we're doing. It's possible. I mean, if you believe the polls, it's a done deal. Now, I don't know how that works. I mean, I know that uh, when I was here uh, four years ago, driving down here, um, you know, people were saying, yeah, uh, President Trump doesn't have a chance. And, and I'd see all these signs. You hardly ever see a sign for, for his competition. And sure enough, he gets in. But now the polls are saying that's not the case. But the idea that, that democracy is not God's government, right? That's not how heaven is going to be. Uh, there's a man on the throne in heaven, and he's been placed there by God. And it's a theocracy, and the one day the Lord Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to establish his throne on earth forever, and he's going to reign in righteousness, and it's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. And so, you know, as we think about these things and try to work through these things in the Bible, we need our thinking changed about this stuff. So, uh, a lack of understanding on the types. That's Hebrews chapter uh, 5. That led to a lack of spiritual discernment. Okay, turn back to um, Matthew chapter uh, 27. And so, uh, just by way of review, in Romans 5, we saw that people could be types. Okay, they could be types. That's what we had. Uh, then in in um, in First Corinthians, we saw that those events, if you will, those could be types. All those events that happened, they were types, uh, uh, examples for us, spiritual examples for us. Um, we could read in Acts chapter seven. We don't have to because I know you already believe this. But um, uh, Luke says that um, that the tabernacle. Do you remember the tabernacle that Moses built? It was a type of the reality in heaven right this is the point that that the tabernacle was a type and so uh, so we have people as types we have events as types uh, we have um, things you know things the tabernacle and all those things as types uh, we see that the challenge in Paul's day this spiritual immaturity was linked with a lack of understanding of the types and now in um, Matthew chapter 27, we're going to establish, hey, that the types are important to us because they're important to God. And so, hey, we want to make sure that um, in our Christian life, what God holds valuable, what God considers valuable, hey, we want to make sure we, we consider that valuable. Um, what God loves, we want to love, right? You know, um, do you remember uh, the story of Joseph? In the story of Joseph, when the brothers came with the coat of many colors, men remember it had been dipped in blood. Do you remember what they said to, to Jacob? Who remembers what they said to Jacob? They said, we found this cloak. Who remembers? James, you remember? You got it? Torn up by an animal. And they said this to Jacob. We don't know if this is your son's cloak or not. Okay? What's interesting about that statement? Well, they didn't say this. Hey, 
we don't know if this cloak is our brother's cloak or not. They didn't say that. They said, we don't know if it's your son's cloak or not. They had no relationship with Joseph. Now, hey, we learn from the story at the very beginning that Jacob loved Joseph. Did the brethren love Joseph? No, they didn't love Joseph. Consequently, by not loving Joseph, they didn't love what Jacob loved. And in essence, they didn't love Jacob. Now, we know that changed. Now, you move to the New Testament, and you remember that famous story that the Lord Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, that prodigal story that, of the two sons. You remember when the, the son who stayed home, he came to his father. And you remember what he said? He said, this my brother has wasted your living? No, he doesn't say that. He said, this your son has wasted your inheritance on riotous living, not my brother. Hey, he's distancing himself. Hey, that's the lie right from the beginning, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Are we? Absolutely we are. You know, um, we're connected uh, to one another. And so, so we love what God loves. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you from this passage right here, the importance of the types to God. So if we love God, we love what he loves. So um, Matthew chapter 27. Um, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The cross of the Lord Jesus is the most significant event in the history of time. In fact, God uses the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ to divide humanity today. Um, it's not... It's not random. Do we think it's random that the Lord Jesus Christ died on a middle cross and there were two on either side and on that day he died, one went to heaven and one went to a lost eternity? Do we, we think that's random? Hey, the cross divides time. Hey, the cross divides eternity too. What do you know about a past eternity? Nothing. Um... Genesis 1 verse 1 begins with what? A statement of fact. Doesn't begin with an explanation. Hey, Genesis 1 verse 1 is not an explanation. It's a statement of fact. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's not an explanation. That's a statement of fact. Um, do you know anything before that? Well, you could maybe in your minds, uh, you could say, well, well, I do know this, that um, John chapter 1 goes before Genesis 1, that in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we say from that that, hey, the Lord Jesus was 
there before Genesis 1 verse 1, right? We agree with that. We say yes to that. Do you know anything else about anything pre-Genesis 1 verse 1? Actually, Peter tells us something. You know what he tells us? That you've not been redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but we have been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus as a lamb without blemish. What's it say? Ordained before the foundation of the world. So whatever you know about a previous attorney, it's hardly anything. Hey, the Lord Jesus was there ordained as the Lamb of God. Hey, that was in picturing the cross. That was the cross. That's connected to the cross. Okay. Um, what about a, a future eternity? What do we know about that? Well, uh, we know a little more from the book of the Revelation. But, um, you know, John in the book of the Revelation tells us what the Lord Jesus is going to look like for all of eternity. And, you know, I think it's 21 or 22 times he tells us in the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what he's going to look like in heaven? He's going to look like a little lamb as it has been freshly slain. That's the language of the revelation. That's the word. It's a, a little lamb as it had been freshly slain. So, so for all of eternity, we're going to be reminded of the cross. Um, the past eternity, the Lord Jesus is the Lamb of God appointed before the foundation. So, so the cross of the Lord Jesus divides time and it divides eternity. So this is the most important event in all of God's timetable right here. You just read it. We read it together. Matthew chapter 27. What did God do at this exact moment in time, at this exact moment in eternity? What did he do? Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And, and, so, and so you say, what, what, the types? He's concerned about the types right now? Absolutely, he's concerned about the types. The types are important to the Lord. Consequently, they're important to us. So we have people, Romans 5, their types. Uh, we have, um, in Acts 7, we have um, things, the tabernacle. We have that in Hebrews as well, in Hebrews chapter 8. All these things that were, were pictures or patterns of things in the heavens. Um, then we have all these events. Okay? We have all these events listed for us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All of these things, all of these things, all of these things are examples for us for our learning, that we don't become uh, potentially disqualified in our Christian service. Uh, then, we, then we understood from Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 that, that the problem in Paul's day for discernment, right, that, that uh, for a vision for, for true clarity, for real discernment into the issues of life, equipping the saints in his day for work in in the vineyard in which God had placed them was the need for spiritual understanding and understanding of the types. And then we have from uh, Matthew chapter 27, we have that, hey, they're important to God. And so they should be uh, important to us. Hey, what's, what's the time? We gotta, what is the time right now? Huh? 4.23? What time do we start? Oh yeah, let's pray and have a break and then we'll continue. Let's pray. Father, we're um, 
grateful for the opportunity to be together. We are, as we've already prayed, thankful for the freedoms that we do enjoy. Uh, Father, we, we remember even today that there are Christians, your people, in other parts of the world suffering for the cause of Christ. And, and even in those circumstances, the, uh, the saints are being encouraged and the church is growing and, and people are giving their life for the Lord Jesus. Father, we, we remember that we're joined to them, that the Hebrew writer tells us that uh, we're chained with them. And so we, we, we look for this opportunity to lift them up before you. We think of our friends and brothers and sisters in this country that are, are suffering even today. And we pray for them, Father. We pray that you would challenge us by your spirit in your word, uh, that we, we might um, be able to discern uh, these things and to work through these things, uh, that we might be men and women, students of your word. Uh, Father, not just for the sake of knowledge to puff up, but that we might know Christ, we might uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of him. Uh, Father, we bless our afternoon together, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.